Growing up, I always thought of big cities as safe havens for LGBTQ people, and I longed to escape my small town. That's what led me to live in Washington, D.C., then Philadelphia, before coming here to Charlotte. Of course, LGBTQ people exist everywhere, and it's all the more important for us to create a welcoming community in more rural areas, or places that might seem more isolated. Jess, a former singer in One Voice Chorus, and her friend Ethan, both found themselves in situations where LGBTQ people were not adequately represented and supported in their communities. They met through an organization that Ethan founded called PrideLink, and were able to work together to help improve the quality of life and provide a sense of belonging for LGBTQ folks in the upstate region of South Carolina. So how did you both find yourselves in South Carolina? So I was actually born in Gaffney, or nope, that's not right. Where was I born? I was born in Shelby, Shelby, North Carolina. We lived in Gaffney. My mom did not want to birth me in Gaffney Hospital, so they drove to Shelby. Um, yeah, but we lived primarily in Greenville my whole life, and I moved around a couple of times. I haven't lived anywhere outside of upstate South Carolina. I sort of have the opposite. Like, I, I grew up, well, I was born in um, actually Shelby County, Tennessee, and then I moved to North Carolina, Greenville, and I lived there through school. I went, I went to school for, for voice, my undergraduate to voice performance. And I went to Houston to study with a teacher there. And then I kind of followed my, my mini singing career up to Cincinnati. And then I ended up teaching voice in South Dakota. That's how I ended up there. And then I came down here for medical school in Spartanburg, South Carolina. So... I've lived all over the place. Great, great. Well, Ethan, can you just tell us what is PrideLink and what gave you the idea to create it? PrideLink is a nonprofit that focuses on health and wellness of LGBTQ folks in the upstate. The foundation is my own experience as a trans person coming out, not having the social support, trying to find medical resources, mental health providers, coming out at school and having to, you know, out myself and share my name that wasn't legal yet, transitioning on the job and just my experience with that. It was not great <laughs> and really wanting that to be different for other people. Okay, so you had personal experiences that drove you to create PrideLink, but when did you start working on making it a reality? When I was in grad school at Winthrop, getting my master's in social work, I did a needs assessment. I'd been hearing all of these stories that were very similar or much worse than mine, and I was gaining these skills in social work, and I wanted to sort of merge those and be able to address some change in the, in the community. I knew that in order to do that, I needed some data, not just stories, because it would require money and funders like to see numbers. <laughs> what came back was just validating to what I already knew, which was unfortunate, right? But it clearly was a need. And folks said over and over, you know, responded to what would you like to see in the upstate? What would you like to see in your community that would best meet your needs? And over and over people said some sort of safe space 
or um, a community center. So like those phrases, safe space and community center were on repeat. So I started reaching out to folks uh, that I thought might be good board members while I was in grad school and said, hey, are you interested in trying to do this thing with me? And they said, yes. And I said, okay, cool, sit tight. Let me finish school and then we'll start. Um, and we did, we started in my living room like a month after graduation. And how did you two meet? We met in 2018, right? At the Pride, Upstate Pride. Yes, oh, I forgot. That was the first time, the very, very first time. And I was like, who is this? What is this little booth? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I went there for the swag. I was like, this booth has sweet swag at Pride. And so I got some swag and introduced myself. I didn't, I didn't think about Ethan again until we, we saw each other at, what was it? The Youth Summit? Is that when it was? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Like the very next weekend. Yeah. Jess, how did your involvement in Pride Link take shape? I went to... VCOM, the medical school in Spartanburg, which is right outside of Greenville. So I guess I should start in medical school when I started doing some um, LGBTQ work with VCOM. Uh, they didn't have a student organization and they didn't have much focus on LGBTQ education for medical students. So, and I recognized the need pretty quickly um, in, you know, Southern medical school curriculum of, of, of some work that could be done and, um, I was looking for opportunities to get involved in the community. I need some, some way to like focus me in and remind me of like, why am I doing this? You know, what people am I trying to serve? So I was, I was looking for um, some sort of way to be involved. And I ran into Ethan a couple of times and I had heard about Pride Link, but um, I wasn't really sure because it was new organization. And I, I gave a very small donation, like medical school student size donation. <laughs> and the next thing I know, I get an email from Ethan saying, hey, you, you should be on our advisory board. <laughs> like, come help us do things. And I was like, well, yeah, why not? I didn't realize it would be, I would be as, as involved as I was. I was lucky enough to help set up the first, the very first mobile community center. We recruited physicians to come supervise us students. We um, recruited students to actually do physical health screenings and one-on-one -on -one visits with, um, with queer folk. So that was nice. And um, I got all like the equipment and- Put you to work. Yeah, it was, it was an ordeal, <laughs> but it was it, like, so rewarding. I'll bet. Okay, let's back up a little bit. And Ethan, could you just talk to me about what your services tangibly look like? Like, how exactly do you work toward your goals in the community? We have the Mobile Community Center, which is, is basically since people said, you know, I really want a safe space. I want that community center. We knew that would take a while. And so we wanted to offer something pretty quickly. We did health screenings, mental health screenings, HIV tests, but also if you just wanted to come and hang out with other queer and trans people, like you can do that. Usually what happened was people would show up just wanting to hang out and meet new friends. And then they would end up accessing a medical screening with the students or a mental health screening with a counselor and then get connected that way. We have a, a monthly youth group that serves youth ages 13 to 19. We do a couple of social hangouts just on Zoom. We have a Discord channel so that they can like keep in contact with folks. We do workshops, educational workshops. 
how to advocate for yourself, what your rights are in school. So different sort of educational things with youth. And then we inherited the, the youth summit from Upstate Pride. They, after the first one, they said, you know, this is really more in Pride Link's wheelhouse. Are y'all interested in taking it on? And we were stoked about it and did the 2020 um, youth summit. We had over 200 attendees and it was an incredible, incredible experience and energy. We connect folks with resources. So we get a lot of resource calls looking for affirming providers, um, you know, folk, doctors and counselors and lawyers that are knowledgeable about how to serve LGBTQ plus people. Um, and then we do cultural competence training to equip those folks to serve queer and trans folks well. And are there any plans for creating a non-mobile community center? So that's the next thing that's coming is a community wellness center. Our date or target is to move into a space this summer and to open that up, have a publicly accessible space for folks to, to come in. And I think last Giving Tuesday, we did some video interviews with people and just hearing what people said about, you know, what having a a center, a physical location would mean to them was really incredible and heartfelt. There's never been a place that you can drive by and point to and say, I'm queer, I'm trans, and that is where my people are. That's where I belong. That's where I know I can go get services and be safe. And it does seem like you really are creating a safe space for people and providing somewhere where they feel like they belong. Um, It's making me realize that in that way, our organizations are sort of similar because that's what we try to do as well with the chorus. Well, that's, that's why I got involved. And like the first two years of medical school was was like, I I could be myself while I was working with Pride Link, but not so much at, you know, medical school Um, and like years three and four of medical school are completely in clinic. And so I have to be a little careful um, in, in a clinical setting with preceptors that grade me and evaluate me constantly. And so that's, that's why I sought out the choir. So I was like, this is a place I can be myself when I, when I can't always travel back and help Pride Link. So it, it's really, it's really filled a, filled a need for me too. Interesting. Well, and I think you said that you met Pride Link because of Pride and you also collected our swag. So you have a habit of of getting pride swag and then becoming involved in the organization. <laughs> That's what you do at Pride. You get swag, you have a couple drinks, you dress ridiculous, and you have a good time. So I, I met Corey at Charlotte Pride and I pretty much interrogated him on like what the choir was doing, what what his like qualifications were. It was obnoxious. Nice. I had never met them basically because it was like the first event that I even did with the group and you're like, like tell well, me everything this choir and I'm like I really don't know <laughs> <laughs> but please come sing with us <laughs> right so you've both alluded to the importance of safe spaces and how hard it is when you have to pretend to be somebody other than yourself can you just talk a little more about that. So I made the choice to go to medical school in the South. When I made that choice, I knew that it would be tough. And um, especially being out. And, and for the first six months, I wasn't out. Um, I, I was watching, you know, as you do. 
you know, you say, is this a safe space for me? Can I, can I be myself? Can I tell my truth? Medicine is getting better, but it is still very much a cis, het, white, male field. And I don't fit many of those boxes. So it took a while, but um, eventually I, I, I felt like if I was, if I was creating something that could make maybe the next class of, of VCOM a little more comfortable being there and being supported, it was, it was really worth my time. And it really reminded me like why I went into medicine to begin with, you know, um, I've had, I've had some pretty terrible experiences at the doctor. And I imagine most non-cis white head males have, and even, you know, Everybody's had bad experiences, but I think especially with our community, it's really tough to find affirming healthcare. And I felt like there was a lot of pushback in the work that I was doing, but I also had a good amount of support. I was very lucky that people in the classes beneath me felt as passionate as I did to pick up the reins and sort of keep going with, with what we created there. And one of the things, Jess, you, we might want to talk about is like when we did the panel. Yes. That because was we're also eye-opening. doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that we're doing that next week Good. with VCOM again. So like speaking of like, they're Fantastic. continuing the work that y'all have done and yeah. the foundation that you laid. Yeah. Yeah. So um, our organization at VCOM is called Pride in Healthcare. And so we put together a bias in medicine series um, and the, the very last segment of it that year was about LGBTQ trans bias in healthcare. And we had a panel made up of entirely Pridelink folks, I think. Thankfully, yeah. they, did me, <laughs> yep. they did me a solid. <laughs> and um, we had medical students basically ask a bunch of questions and really open the eyes of some medical students. You know, um, I think the question that stood out to me, I asked Ethan, <laughs> I said, hey, can you think of a, of a positive experience that you've had with a healthcare provider. And, and he couldn't. How sad was that? I asked that and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. And like some of the stuff that we, so we did surveys after every mobile community center of the participants that came and just the feedback that we got from folks that did medical screenings or had medical screenings, they were so impressed by the students and the providers actually asked me if they could touch me like on my shoulder or on my back or like feel something. And that was the first time ever any medical provider had ever done that. That intentional care is so important. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times I I felt that the students were were educating the providers because they were older providers who, who didn't have a lot of experience with this community. Well, that was the, that was the interesting thing to me was like the point of including medical students was to get the medical students to have some cultural competence training, but y'all were actually training the providers. So, (laughs) yeah. And thank goodness, you know, like I think of some of the providers that were there and they, they had never met a trans person that they knew of, you know, like, and now they have that skill set. Right. Jess, I know you've talked about having a degree in voice performance, but Ethan, do you have any relationship to singing or choral singing? I mean, the short answer is no. However, I have a relationship 
to my voice, like speaking of voice as trans people. And so like a physical relationship to my voice and an emotional relationship and like symbolic relationship to my voice. This idea of using my voice and ensuring that my voice is heard is like a recurring lesson, especially in leadership, you know, as a kid and then growing up and experiencing puberty and then transitioning and experiencing another puberty and then having a brand new voice, it makes a lot of sense why I'm continuing to like grow with my voice. So I actually started voice lessons with a friend of mine to try to gain confidence in speaking and just using my voice and singing was part of those lessons, which was an incredible leap of faith for me, just smashing down the biggest self-conscious barrier ever. (laughs) Yeah, it's super vulnerable. Like singing, people don't realize how vulnerable it makes you. Yes. He asked me to yell at one point, like, because he, I'm sure he could tell, like, this is not the voice like this, you're not letting go. And so he asked me to yell and I was like, just frozen. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, you want me to do what? There were a couple of times where I felt my voice, like all, all of it in my head. (laughs) And it was the weirdest feeling like to feel that reverberation and to know that that power was coming from me was like a pretty emotional experience. I think I was bringing like this emotional attachment to it. And so it was eye-opening to him as well, just to like be able to really understand, like, it's not just about the mechanics or the like technical skill. It's like, oh, this is connected to some emotional stuff that needs healing. And so like I was doing work he was doing work. We were doing work together. I love that. It was cool. When I've taught voice lessons in the past, I've, I've only, I've only taught one trans person. There's a lot of trauma attached with voice, regardless of your, of your gender experience. Teaching that one trans student was, was hugely, hugely rewarding and actually normalizing for me. You know, um, if you, if you have a person who has just started, you know, HRT, um, hormone therapy, that's a voice going through puberty a lot of the time. And we know how to do that. Like we know how to, how to teach kiddos going through puberty, but, but having an adult in front of you going through that same thing is, is very different and something you have to adjust to. I can imagine that it would be, it would be such a good experience to do it with a, with a person that's established and on therapy. Yeah. Because like I've used my voice for 10 years. Like I've, I've, yeah. it was 10 years ago that I transitioned. So this has been my voice for probably seven of those years, but I'm still learning how to use it. Like I think I speak deeper often to try to, I don't know, command a space or like, (laughs) Oh my God, I feel that too though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's transphobia, internalized transphobia too. Like I'm afraid if I, you know, speak too high, that I'll be ridiculed for being too feminine or yeah, there's a lot. I think, I think Ethan would be 
a tenor? What do you think, Corey? I'm gonna voice him right now. Yeah. But I always say everybody's a T2 or a B1. Yeah, I would say T2. Yeah, definitely not not a T1. But yeah. a T2. Is that lower or higher? That's that's like the lower tenor range. Yeah, so tenor, tenor high, bass low, um, but traditional, you know, um, male identifying folks. But um, yeah, I think you would be like a tenor too. I think you'd have a nice singing voice. You should. Yeah, I mean the instruct the instructor said I wasn't tone deaf, so. Yeah, you can teach anyone to sing. I so I have taught many kiddos who said I can't sing, I can't like I'm tone deaf. No, anybody, anybody. Right, can sing. right. I agree. So the piece I chose for this episode and which we'll play at the end of the episode is called the Imaginary Garden, which we recorded virtually. It's a setting by composer Marie-Claire Sendon of a poem by Mavash Sabet, a school principal in Iran. And despite being stripped of her role as principal during the Islamic Revolution because of her adherence to the Baha'i faith, Mrs. Sabet covertly taught the youth around her who were devoid of the basic human right to education. It speaks to the idea of hope, steadfastness, and determination during life's various challenges. So I wanted to ask, do either of you have any insight or reflections or advice on the topic of overcoming adversity and forging ahead in life? My dad got really sick before I started medical school, and uh, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's, went downhill very quickly. It's one of the reasons I came to South Carolina. And um, he ended up passing away after my, my first year of medical school. And um, I actually ended up going through a divorce my second year. So uh, medical school is intense um, to a, a degree that a lot of people never experienced. But putting anything on top of that is, is just almost insurmountable. So um, I think we talk a lot about resiliency in a way that's um, not always um, helpful. Like you see resiliency as you're overcoming, you're getting past something, but resiliency is also acknowledging that you're not taking time for yourself and saying, this is a trauma I experienced. I didn't take time for myself, I kept going. Resiliency has a lot of troubling connotations. And I think, um, I think that's really what what I think about when I think about overcoming, you know, um, that I really, if something that traumatic takes place again, you know, I really need to rethink how I deal with it and taking the time instead of just pushing through and, and thinking I'm stronger because of it, like really honoring that you need that space. So resiliency, not always a good thing. I, I think, this is not going to be eloquent, but it's that's literally what I'm going to be talking about. So it's perfect. I think that I would say like society, there's so many pressures. There's so much built into society that we all try to live up to. And so I think what I have learned and continue to learn is like, I have a very unique way of showing up in the world and that is way more than good enough. 
and it doesn't matter. So speaking of like being eloquent and using my voice, I, I feel like I trip over my words a lot. I feel like I don't like speak as eloquently or at the same pace as other leaders or other people that have leadership positions. And so like, I have a lot of insecurity about that, but the, the way that I do show up, the way that I do process, the way that I am intentional about my words is also needed in the world. The way that you show up and exist in the world, regardless of your surroundings is incredible and way more than good enough. And like, you can always, what I, I get afraid that I'm going to make mistakes or like disappoint people. But I also know that I have integrity and like, if I do make mistakes, I've, I'm going to show up and apologize and say like, actually I was wrong about this. Wow. Both of those answers were excellent. Thank you so much. I really appreciate those thoughts. Um, well, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to talk about during our time together? So Ethan and his partner are wanting to become parents. I read through your GoFundMe and the obstacles that are in you guys' way are just insane to me. You know, adoption is crazy to begin with. And then you add these ridiculous constraints on your situation. Like, how are you dealing with that? Number one, we're being really slow which I think is really helping us. We're not rushing through our disappointment. We're not rushing through getting to the other side of things. Just recently, we sent out an email to sort of give people an update on things and ask for help. One thing came out of that that's super helpful was my stepmom offered to like cold call places. Number one, it's our getting a home study is the first step. Number two, most of the home study providers in South Carolina are Christian-based. And so that, unfortunately, is just unsafe to me because of past experiences. We're finding some websites that have lists of just agencies and a phone number. And I'm just not in the space to call and ask, like, hey, are you going to treat me well? Um, I have done that way too many times when I was starting my transition and just like you talking about the trauma of that, like, I just can't do that again. Um, and so she offered, she said, well, I can call and ask the questions. That is an ally. That's allyship saying like, I, I don't have this issue. So let me do that for you. Wonderful. Thank you so much to both of you. Now let's enjoy Imaginary Garden.
Asia is a podcast from One Voice Chorus, the LGBTQIA and Allies Chorus of Charlotte, North Carolina. View our performances on YouTube and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching One Voice Chorus Charlotte. Please subscribe and rate Asia. You can also support our chorus by making a donation at www.onevoicechorus.com. <laughs>